1: Welcome to the Poetry Questions TPQ 20, where we sit down with your favorite authors to talk about passions, process, pitfalls, and poetry. My name is Chris Margolin. Let's expand the conversation. How's it
0: going? Pretty good. How's it going?
1: not too bad at all. Uh, thank you for hanging out on TPQ20. I am looking forward to talking poetry with you today.
0: Yeah, I'm super glad to be
1: here. Awesome. So we always like to start off by saying, you know, uh, we know who you are, but our audience may be new to you. So if you were to kind of give, you know, the publicist, the non-publicist bio, what you're, you know, not, what's not going to feature on the back of your books, who are you?
0: Uh, so I'm Phil Goldstein. Very glad to be here on TPQ. I'm a writer. Uh, always been a writer. I currently, for my day job, work as a copywriter and editor for Amazon Web Services, doing stuff with their marketing department. And before that, I was in content marketing and business journalism. So you know, my whole career has been sort of one form or another of of writing. And yeah, I've always been interested in creative writing you know started writing poetry when i was 10 11 and you know i think kept at it pretty steadily through college and then after i moved to dc which is where i still live uh after college kind of dropped off you know you start working you start you know going out
1: the real life takes over
0: yeah, I mean, you know, who's going to sit at home on a Friday night and write a poem when they could go out with their friends to a bar, uh, you know, especially when you're like 22. Um, so, yeah, but I I picked it up, you know, uh, obviously in the last couple of years and that turned into my book um, and, um, you know, live in Washington, D.C., just uh, bought a house with my wife uh, in the district proper um after being in alexandria virginia for a while and we have a dog named brenna and two cats grady and princess who just had their birthday yesterday um and um yeah you know that's that's me in in a nutshell love to hike love to travel love to read love to write um total nerd total total nerd on like so many different things but i would say especially like lord of the rings history especially like new york city history bunch of different things
1: all right so let's see that gives a lot to talk about then uh let's let's start with the uh the evil empire question though Mm -hmm. Um, but it's more how does working for a company like amazon And working specifically, though, in the marketing department, Mm -hmm. uh, how do you find your creativity or are you allowed your creativity, really, in a marketing department at Amazon?
0: Well, I think that it's, it's important to, for me at least, to distinguish between Amazon Web Services, which is Amazon's cloud company. Um, and Amazon, like, where you buy all your, your stuff from. Um, because, you know, I've been, in one form or another, I've been writing about technology um, since I graduated college. I started out as a reporter uh, covering the wireless industry, like, right when smartphones were starting to, to take off. So, oh, wow. like, I went to the event where they announced the first Android phone. I went yeah. to the event where... Verizon announced they were getting the iPhone. Remember when it was such a huge deal that Verizon got the iPhone? I sure do. So like I, you know, I've been steeped in technology and then uh, the job that I had after that, I was covering business technology, like, you know, cloud, cybersecurity, uh, you know, collaboration technology, all that kind of good stuff. And then uh, government technology as well. And so... You know, I think that in my current role, um, the current project that I'm working on, that I've been, I've only, you know, been working there since April, um, but the current project I'm working on, that itself does not allow a ton of creativity and flexibility just because it's a lot of like, you know, uh, streamlining copy and and things like that. Very technical, very technical. But I think that over time, um, based on, what I've learned so far, you know, there's an opportunity to help kind of write blogs and uh, other things that are, you know, more creative. Um, I think the honestly, the, one of the great things that I've enjoyed about working at Amazon is because it's such a huge damn company, there's a lot of opportunity to like move into different roles. And so I think that there will be an opportunity for me to, at some point, um, switch to a writing role that does afford a little bit more creativity. So that's you know that's something' to look forward to.
1: That's awesome. now then the 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 other side of that question is how do you compartmentalize then the more technical side of your writing from your poetry? and does the Amazon or does any of the technical work you've done over the years the technical writing work you've done over the years bleed into your poetry?
0: Honestly, I, I find it relatively easy to compartmentalize it just because like they're two so vastly different things and vastly different kinds of of writing. I wound up, you know, when I was writing a lot of the poems that became the basis for my book, I would write them mostly either at night or, you know, on my phone during commutes, uh, you know, because good chunk of it was written pre-pandemic. And um on the weekends and so uh i don't know if it bleeds into it i guess you know certain ideas or turns of phrase you know but and so i did find it relatively easy to kind of separate those two things um i will say that you know in terms of like science and technology bleeding into poetry like one of my favorite like twitter memes or like twitter jokes is like you know whenever a poet you know uh, inserts like dark matter or you know some scientific thing into one of their poems and then you have the willem dafoe thing from spider-man i'm (laughs) something of a scientist myself
1: (laughs) awesome I love that. Do you, so you also said that you, uh, you started writing poetry at 10. So I have to imagine you were listening to, or being read to, or reading poetry in some form at that age. Was there an early poet that, that you kind of remember falling, kind of falling in love with the words there. And then what was that like poet catalyst or who was that poet catalyst? When you, uh, when you kind of finally said, all right, I can actually do this and you wanted to head toward publishing.
0: Well, so I'll answer the first part first and then I want to clarify with you on on the second. So, um I remember when I was around that age, my mom got me this book which I still have um called A Treasury of American Poetry. Um and it's like, you know, book of poems from famous American poets, but you know, for for kids. I mean, it's the it's the poems, it's not like they're like reader's digest version of the poems, but there's a lot of illustrations. Um, and I think in there, excuse me. I think in there I really fell in love with Carl Sandberg, with Robert Frost, um, with Walt Whitman, who is by far and away um one of my favorite poets still to this day, um Emily Dickinson. Um, and you know, that was kind of my first introduction to poetry. And In terms of a catalyst, you know, for later on, what do you mean by that specifically?
1: I mean, was there like a, you know, we all find, I think a lot of us find, you know, our love for poetry at some point. But then there's, at some point, there's a moment where we're like, all right, I can do this and uh you know i talked to a lot of people where they they read a poem that they where they feel empowered or they read a poem where they're like um i can write this or they read something that's so inspirational that it makes them want to pick up a pen and and try it themselves or take their own work to that next level where maybe they're ready mm-hmm. for an audience
0: yeah um i think for me it was not necessarily one thing it was kind of like a couple different things coming together at the same time. Um, One, you know, uh, I picked it up in college, but then, you know, like a lot of things it kind of just fell off, but like being reintroduced to poets like Louise Glick and Mary Oliver and Frank O'Hara, you know, later on into adulthood was like, wow, these are like some of the greats they really just are you know there's no artifice to it it's just you know cutting right to the bone um so kind of immersing myself in work like that but then also you know seeing the work of peers you know get really recognized and get published um you know one of uh, i you know she is in my estimation um one of our best poets uh right now and dear friend and such a better poet than i am but um my friend Rachel Menes, um her work you know really spoke to me she actually is the person who edited the first version of my manuscript um and um yeah you, you know seeing people my age or slightly older kind of get poems published in in lit mags and uh you know eventually get whole books published was like wow like you know this is not a crazy idea to to try this um and just because i i had never done it i mean you know uh it it just wasn't something that was on my radar
1: well and do you think i guess when you know when we get to the point where stillhouse is publishing mm-hmm. how what's kind of like the time spread from earliest poem to book is coming out?
0: So the timeline on that is this. So, you know, my book, How to Bury a Boy at Sea, is about reckoning with child sexual abuse, you know, and mine, which I experienced at the hands of my older brother when I was between the ages of 10 and 12. And I had never spoken about it to anybody um and then I started dating Jenny, who's now my wife, and we were having a lot of problems with sex and intimacy, and she really pushed me to see a therapist you know uh and some of this is detailed in some of the poems in the book you know, I wound up disclosing on like a intake form, not even to like a human that this had happened to me. And then in my first session with that therapist, I sort of mentioned it, but I was like, but I don't want to talk about it. That's not why I'm here. You know, I'm here to like deal with my relationship with my girlfriend, which, you know, looking back on it is like, you know, smack your head.
1: (laughs) Um, and we all all pay a ton of money to eventually find out that we knew the original answer to the question we wanted to ask. We just needed to talk about that question.
0: Yeah. (laughs) So, you know, I worked with that therapist for a couple months, then she left her practice. And then I started seeing uh, a different therapist who specializes in trauma, um, in like spring of 2018. And I didn't write the first poem um that would kind of serve as the foundation for the book until like that summer but then uh you know i wrote a bunch of poems and you know just because that was really cathartic for me and my therapist encouraged it and um, it helped me kind of process some memories um and jenny was like maybe you could like write some more poems and maybe this could be a book. And so that's what I did. And, um, you know, it's, I'm incredibly fortunate because um, it was basically from the summer of 2018 when I first wrote the first poems, Um, like late spring, early summer of 2019 is when Rachel was looking at the manuscript. Then I was putting it out to, you know, publishers and contests and all kinds of stuff um, in the fall and winter of 2019 going into 2020. And then honestly, like just as the pandemic was beginning is when Stillhouse reached out to me um, and let me know that they wanted to to pick up the book. So really a remarkably short period of time time. because, you know, I talked to people who, you know, I don't have an MFA, I'm never going to get an MFA, but like I've talked to people who got MFAs and they're like, you know, basically like typically it takes about eight to 10 years between the time you start an MFA in poetry to when your first book is published, if that's what you want to do. And I was really, you know, girding myself for a long haul. Um, Not that I didn't think the work was good and was worthy of being published i just you know it's like uh, i was and still am you know kind of a nobody in the the wider world of of poetry compared to you know even you know contemporaries um and peers who've had work published in you know phenomenal places you know right. the new yorker kenyon review you know poetry magazine like places that i can only dream of of getting work into and i was like well, I'm not those people. So, you know, it's probably going to take a while. Um, and then, you know, Stillhouse came calling and it was really great to, to work with them.
1: That's awesome. Well, and I think it's, it's nice when you get to that point where you realize you're you know for whatever reason it is that you're not your peers and you're not you know it it lowers some level of even subconscious like competition and then the angst or anxiety that maybe you're just not good enough or whatever it lessens it lessens that and kind of allows you to breathe until something
0: kind of perks up and then you realize oh i am i am worthy of this like it yeah i mean i think that you know many writers um you know compare themselves to people who are their peers or contemporaries and, um, you know, I do it all the time. Um, I try to not do it quite so much, um, but, you know, it's it's hard to not compare yourself and to not feel inadequate next to, you know, somebody else um, who, you know, uh whose whose work you admire and that's you know gotten a book published by you know uh, a much bigger publisher than yours for example but i think that you know it really does do a disservice to yourself as a writer and as a person to you know live kind of in that shadow and it's unfortunate in the world of poetry just because like you know, as you know, it's it's so small and so niche. And so, you know, there are just not a ton of sort of opportunities to go around. And again, I feel incredibly lucky, incredibly fortunate, incredibly blessed um, that, you know, I've had this book get published and, and come out. Yeah. But, you know, it's, there's just not A lot of pie to go around um and so you know you do feel competitive even when you know you you really shouldn't because it's like everybody does their own thing everybody you know has their own style and their own way of doing things and their own interests and preoccupations in terms of what they write about and it's you know you're not them and they're not you.
1: And I mean, like anything, obviously, you know, it takes one, it takes one poem read by one person in one magazine to, you know, to make it, to make a huge difference with a retweet or something. And it is weird, the world of, of, you know, of poetry, Twitter has, it, you know, it's, it's brought together a community that may not have otherwise, you know, gotten past the Tumblr era, but I think like, you know, it, it's pretty amazing. That you know, uh, a retweet from a you know, a Patricia Smith or you know, or or somebody you know who's in that category, you know, if they see something and they retweet it, there's where the hundreds and hundreds of you know, of looks come from.
0: Oh, no, I mean, I, I totally amazing. get that. Like when my book was on pre order, Maggie Smith, uh, like tweeted about it because I'd reached out to her, um, last fall to see if she wanted to blurb my book. She didn't because she's really busy. Right. Um and you know, she's working on her own books. Um, but, you know, she was very gracious and um was saying like let me know, you know, when it becomes available for pre-order and I'll, you know, I'll try to give you a little signal boost. And I was just so thrilled. Um just That's because incredible. like incredible yeah. Maggie Smith. Maggie Smith is a phenomenal <laughs> poet, phenomenal person. <laughs>
1: That's awesome. Um, As we kind of steer toward the end here, who are, you know, we've talked about like kind of some of those contemporaries that, you know, you, you want to keep up with at times, or kind of just that peer group that you're in, who are those authors in the kind of here and now that you're reading and kind of get excited about when they have things come out?
0: Oh, so many. Um, So many. (laughs) I mean, you know, uh, I'll, I'll try to give kind of, a half dozen that come to mind, maybe more, uh, like uh, Chen Chen, Love Chen Chen, Can't Wait for um, Chen's new book, um, Your Emergency Contact Has Experienced an Emergency. What a fantastic title. Brian Tierney, uh, who I know you just had on, love Brian's work. I was really fortunate to read with him on Zoom back in April. Rachel, C.R. Grimmer, whose book The Lime Letters came out early in the pandemic. Fantastic book. Everybody should go check that out. I don't Um,
1: know, so I'll go back and look for that one.
0: Yeah. Richie Hoffman, Lisa Heighton, you know, just so many fantastic people. Um, um, Dan Cranes, uh Catherine Pond, um Ruth Awad, uh Kimberly Ann Priest.
1: Ruth just is a, Ruth is going to be a powerhouse.
0: Yeah, is, yeah. Yeah.
1: And let's uh we cannot cannot possibly end without knowing where we can find your work and what is coming up next for you.
0: Sure. Um so my website is philagoldstein.com p h i l a g o l d s t e i n.com um and so all my Poetry is there, stuff about how to bury a boy at sea. Um, can find me on Twitter at Phil Goldstein, um, on Instagram at Phil A. Goldstein. And in terms of what's going on, you know, I'm still doing stuff to talk about the book. You know, hopefully, going to be on a couple more podcasts and doing some more promotional stuff as we get into the fall. Um, but I am starting to write again. And, you know, I think that after the book came out, I was like creatively and emotionally kind of drained. Um, and I just had a little bit of a a fallow period. And I would say, honestly, it's just been in the past month or so that I've really started to pick up, um, and, you know, um, Uh, Another phenomenal writer, Alina Stefanesco, she posted this thing that was like 109 poetry prompts. And they're like so interesting and creative and off the wall. And I've been going through those and writing poems, you know, that I think are are based on that. And one of them actually just got uh, accepted for publication. So that's really validating and another one that i'm hoping will get picked up some places honestly like it's one of my favorite things that i've ever written um and so you know it's really great to kind of like after a period of of being you know just kind of fallow creatively to like rework those muscles and be like oh yeah, like I can do this, you know, and I can like remember how to write. And I'm, you know, I, everybody has their own kind of way of doing things. And I know some people who are like, I write every day, you know, no matter what. And I just, I can't do that. I don't have the, the time to do that, but I do like it when you get those like spurts and bursts of, of creativity.
1: Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with me today on TPQ20. We look forward to sending people your way and seeing what comes next from you and definitely reading the uh, the newly uh, accepted pieces. So with that in mind, have a great rest of the evening and uh, we'll talk soon.
0: Thanks so much. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye.